This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast here on the AHP Digital Radio Network, the only dedicated hunting, shooting and fishing radio show here in Australia. If you'd like to find out more about AHP, visit australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. If you would like to email us, then you can go to the website and click on the contact icon. Or alternatively, you can email me directly at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to listen to the Australian Hunting Podcast, you can visit the website and click on the archived podcast link. You can also subscribe to the Australian Hunting Podcast on iTunes for automatic updates. Make sure you leave a comment and rate us five stars on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. On Facebook, you can find us under Australian Hunting Podcast, where listeners are sharing ideas, thoughts and opinions, as well as photos and videos twitter.com forward slash ah podcast if you'd like to follow our twitter feed you can also check out my videos on youtube under the name aussie federal control alternatively all social media links can be found on the website everyone knows i love my listeners but i've got especially some extra special love for my donating listeners if you'd like to donate or do a monthly subscription to the show go to the website and click on the donate button on the right hand side of the main page and show your support which is always appreciated that helps us keeps the lights on in this joint and pay those bills we have over 65 hours of free podcasting audio content to date for you all to enjoy Share the Australian Hunting Podcast with your friends and family and get as many people as you know into hunting, shooting and fishing as possible so they can enjoy this fantastic lifestyle that we all love. So as usual, without further ado, let's get into my interview with today's guest. This is Rod Drew, CEO of Field and Game Australia. This is Rob Fickling from Beyond the Divide and Maroka 30. Hi, this is Col Allison, hunter, journalist for 42 years and a shooter. Hi, this is Russell Mark, Olympic gold medalist. This is Charlie Jacoby from Field Sports Britain. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Glenn Roberts, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate your time today. Thanks very much. Pleasure. No worries, mate. I guess tell us uh, a bit about yourself, personal history, and you know, do you hunt, shoot, fish, or all of the above? All of the above, actually. Um, okay, I'm 43 years of age, married with two children, two daughters, two and four years of age. I've been fishing pretty much since I was six, shooting since I was nine or ten, obviously under the supervision of my father. Yep. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and hunting pretty much for that time as well. Um, I love hunting. Uh, hunting's my real passion, actually. Yeah. Who do who, talking about your family? I mean, did you did your did your dad hunt? Is that how you originally got into it? Is that how you got into sort of hunting and shooting? Yeah, my my father and his father were both um, residents of Kenya in the forties and fifties. My father was a ivory hunter and a coffee farmer, and uh, my older brother was a professional roo shooter for most of his life and a station uh, jackaroo. Um, I guess it's uh, been passed down through the uh, through the DNA. <laughs> they love fishing. They love spearfishing as well. 
Yeah, I'm detecting a bit of. I just now that you say that, you were talking about overseas. You having a bit of an accent? Is that from your your dad or? Well, I was born here in uh, in Western Australia, um, and I was raised in New Zealand. Ah, um, yep. Both my both my parents have colonial uh, East African accents, and all their friends um, had the same accent. So I guess um, I was exposed to you know uh, some different uh, ways of talking uh, since I was growing up. Yeah, good point, mate. Uh, I guess tell us about uh, what types of hunting you do. You know, rifle. You sort of uh, like bow hunting, uh, dogs, or what? What do you enjoy? What's uh, What's Glenn Roberts like to like to hunt? My passion is uh, rifle and bow. In fact, I've just got into bow hunting. Um, I've been rifle hunting most of my life. Uh, I love the combination of uh, a backpack and a rifle, and doing everything on foot and staying out overnight or for a few nights, whatever the case may be, and, um, and carrying meat out on your back. That's my, that's my passion. Whether that's with a rifle or a bow, it doesn't really matter. But because I've just taken up bow hunting, it's, um, it's a whole different ball game, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. What did you, what, why did you want to start getting into bow hunting? What was it about that that sort of interested you? Um, just another tool in the toolbox. And I've got to be honest with you, I, I do watch uh, some American hunting shows, um, and the Australian one, of course, the one uh, beyond the divide. But uh, shows like Meat Eater and, and uh, Solo Hunters, you know, to do both things with a um, rifle and a bow, to get closer with a bow to certain animals that you, you normally don't get that close to is a real challenge. And, um, and, I, and I love the challenge. That's what I like about it. And I love the, the quietness. Sometimes when you go out to these places, you don't really want to make a, a massive noise you'd actually like the peace and serenity. That's why you're there in the first place, usually. Yeah, exactly. What about, let's talk about game. What do you, what's, uh, what's Glenn like to hunt? What's his favourite game and what do you enjoy hunting? The favourite game I like to hunt are usually the ones that taste the best. Because I, <laughs> I, I like to, uh, I usually like to eat what I shoot. Um, in fact, not usually, all the time. So deer is probably on the top of the list. I'd say Samba deer would be the best eating deer in the country. Um, that would be top of the list. Uh, fallow deer, I love shooting those. Uh, goats, pigs, anything like that. Yeah, how, how do you go for deer over there in, in WA? There's not many deer. I know there's a few fallow over there. I think I've I think I've spoken to Rick Mazza from the Shooters and Fishers Party, and he he said that yeah, there's a few fallow getting around. But you would you have to travel back to sort of the east coast, or uh, there are some deer down on the south uh, of of WA. Um, they, they hang around in, in national parks, which, of course, you can't go into. So if you happen to be on a private property, uh, which is near these, these national parks, occasionally you can be lucky and they will, they will walk across these, these farming properties. Um, few and far between. I have got some that way, um, but mostly on the East Coast. And when I, when I go over on the East Coast to uh, run the courses, usually um, I have a weekend spare here or there where I can go somewhere to, um, you know, to, to either go deer hunting or goat shooting or, or whatever. Yeah. Do you, what, what do you like about eating them? Do you? What, let's talk about your family too. I mean, when you bring home the meat, they sort of enjoy it. They don't really like it, or you've sort of got them involved in it too. Or they love it. They absolutely love it. Um, of course, with my two and four year old, they don't know exactly where it comes from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Um, I'm not about to tell them it comes from Rudolph, you know, from Santa Slow. But um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, my wife loves it. Um, I've spent a little bit of time in Bali, you know, on holidays, obviously. And so I like cooking uh, all this meat over, over charcoal. 
and um, whether it's on a skewer or, or a rotisserie on a leg or something like that, that's usually the way I do it. Um, so I, I usually keep the meat in the in the in the fridge. I don't have anywhere to hang it, so I'll, I'll vacuum pack it straight away and then age it or wet age it in the fridge for about seven days before I freeze it. Yeah, I know. I certainly love my uh, goat curries. Um, you know, I love sort of mincing them up into bolognese. I even minced up a deer last week into some bolognese with a bit of pork. I thought, oh, I don't know how this is going to come out, but I tell you what, bit of uh, bit of tomato, that sort of uh, pasta sauce came out absolutely fantastic. I tell you. Well, when you've harvested it yourself, it, it tastes better anyway. It's like someone else making a cup of coffee for you. Well, when you harvest your own meat, it tastes better. Yeah. Um, I don't particularly like the taste of goat, but when you when you put it in a curry, it's just outstanding. So that's a, how I have my goat as well. I'll, I'll curry it. Yeah. Um, it's just sometimes the flavour of goat tends to be, be a bit strong sometimes. Yeah. So what does what, what Glenn participate in? I mean, pistols. I mean, obviously, you just said bow and rifle, shotguns, clay targets. What, are, what does sort of Glenn get involved in? Um, I used to be in rifle clubs when I was younger. Um, I don't uh, participate in rifle clubs anymore. I have never done uh, shotgun, uh, skeet, clay target shooting formally. I've always just done it with mates, you know. They'll, they'll bring out the machine and put it in the back paddock and throw a few clays. Um, that's about the extent of my shotgunning. Pistol shooting, I used to be in the IPSC um, when I was younger, um, shooting a 9 mil out of the box sort of Tanfoglio pistol. Um, I've shot pistols all my life, um, you know, because I've worked in law enforcement. I don't find pistols particularly interesting because I've done them so much. And because I'm a hunter, there's, uh, there's no room for, for pistols in hunting. I've really got no connection with it there. Mate, tell us about, I mean, tell us about the business. I know you, you run uh, Precision Shooting Australia, but first off, I guess, tell us uh, how you got into it. And, uh, and, and then tell us about the business and sort of what, the, you, know, what you offer to clients that want to get in role, involved in precision shooting. I got into it by being first and foremost passionate about it. I, I really wanted to iron out all the bugs when you want to get started into that sort of shooting. And I started at a young age and um, then I did it professionally and then it wasn't quite enough. So I, I did a lot of study in my own time. I read a lot of books. I made a lot of mistakes. I um, went through thousands and thousands of rounds, uh, trial and error on equipment. After doing that for about eight years, ten years, I found a, a, a sort of a model, a training model, to be able to pass on to other people to fast track those people into long range shooting in, in a one or two months period where it took me 10 to 15 years. The best job you can get into is to get paid for doing something that you love. Because then, if you if you are, you don't really work a day for the rest of your life. Um, so I wanted to I wanted to earn money from it. Is there enough money to do this full time in Australia? No, you know, but uh, I, that doesn't mean I still want to. Uh, I don't want to give it up. I, I love I love doing it. I'll, I'll always do it. Yeah. Um, I, I love teaching. I love training people, and I love the look on people's faces when they hit something as small as a clay target at a kilometre with their 308. Just love it. Nice. Can you share sort of, you know, other than this, obviously not your full-time job, what you do otherwise? Um, I've, I've been in the sniping area um, for 15, 16 years. Uh, I still do training in that area. Um, I've trained um, police snipers uh, around Australia and in New Zealand from 2006 before APEC, I think. Um, the Kiwis I've trained, 
trained the feds. I've trained um, a lot of people in that area, uh, specifically in long-range shooting because that's my passion. I've trained a lot of civilians. Uh, I train people in the mining area for their leases. They've got to have rifles to put animals down on their lease. Um, it, it's quite broad. I've been doing it for a long time. I love doing it. I've got a question. Who, like, when you're actually teaching people, who do you find is sort of easy to teach? Do you find, you know, uh, running courses for law enforcement, they're more willing to learn, the civilian population, or who do you generally find? Or everyone's pretty similar, or what do you find? Uh, I've got a, I've, actually, I've got a good answer for that. The, the willingness to learn comes from people who pay the money. <laughs> so to answer your question, uh, people <laughs> who pay for these courses in the civilian area have got a lot more willingness to learn. I mean, that being said, people who do it professionally are willing to learn too. I'm not taking that away from them. Uh, the ease of teaching them, it's easy to teach 10 blokes who are roughly the same age, fitness level, aptitude, same rifle system, same ammunition, same lot number of ammunition, um, compared to 10 people, male or female, from different walks of life with different rifles, different projectiles, different capabilities, different learning styles. It's far easier to teach law enforcement than it is to teach civilians. Mm. Okay. What about um, – tell us about some of the courses. What do you offer? You know, if people want to come down, they want to you – know, first off, I guess, where do you do your courses, what locations, and also what sort of courses can people expect to do? Uh, I've got four different courses. Three of them are actually shooting courses and one's a reloading course. The, the first course uh, on the shooting area is the two-day – uh, introduction course and it's called the introduction course for a couple of reasons one is that um, it introduces people to bolt action rifle shooting out to five six hundred meters safety um, a bit of theory that sort of thing but it's also an introduction to long range shooting most of the people that come on those courses either have had very little experience um, and that's the majority of the reason actually some of the reasons because I don't want to spend as you know sixteen hundred dollars on a, on the long range one it's, it's designed to give people a taste of what you can do with your rifle. That's the first course. The, the second one is the three-day course called the Practical Rifle Course. And that was born on the competition that they have in Canberra called the Practical Rifle Competition, which is more or less prac pistol but with a rifle out to 900 yards. Um, so it might be shooting, a bit of running, prone position shooting, standing, kneeling, over a chair, whatever it is, just to yeah. make it different. So there was a there was an opening in that area for training people, and there is no training in Australia for people to handle their rifle in a multitude of different ways that obviously are very safe, but um, other than just shooting it off a concrete bench at the rifle range. So that that uh, that course is, is specifically for people who who just want to experience that sort of shooting. Then, of course, there's the five day course. That five-day course is um, very, very intensive. Um, it's aimed at people with little or no experience in rifle shooting right through to those people who have been doing it for 20, 30 years who want to maybe learn a few, few new skills. Uh, the five-day course is, is aimed at those um, who want to become self-sufficient from then on because after, after doing that five-day one, you've done so much theory and put it into practice and have – completed all these things pretty much on your own under supervision, it cements the whole idea and concepts that we teach. So then from then on, um, for the rest of their lives really, they are capable of, of working on their own and going through their own problem solving um, 
with with what they'll come up against in future long range shooting practice. Sorry, I was going to say, do you find people when they're doing like the courses? What, what do you find predominantly? People doing uh, long range or precision shooting for hunting, or more for target shooting? Fifty fifty. What do you find? I find fifty fifty. And when I start these things, I say to them, look, um, if you want to shoot metal plates on your property, on your farming property, if you want to go and shoot uh, paper targets at the rifle range, if you want to go and shoot animals, it's entirely up to you. I won't judge anyone. Um, I, and I'll tell them, I'm, I'm a hunter. Um, I don't do long-range shooting specifically for hunting. I use it as a tool to maybe extend the range for hunting. Um, I'll tell them all these things, and, and I won't judge anyone um, what they want to do with that skill after they've completed the course. Sorry, I was going to say, will people come away? Will people come away sort of at the end of that knowing they've got the skills to sort of develop that and go forward? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'll make sure they do, you know. Um, the courses aren't cheap. If they want to pay $1,690 for a five-day course, I'll make sure they get twice that value worth, if you know what I mean. The one, everyone's got a different learning style. Some pick it up real quick, some don't. Um, so every person that walks back out the door, uh, I want them feeling absolutely satisfied, um, a 100% that they've got their money's worth. Otherwise, I feel that I haven't done my job. Yeah, is there, tell us, um, is, I know this is a question before, I think I'm not sure if this is the one you meant on the email, was there an origin to sort of this long-range shooting? Was it a quest to sort of, you know, use, you know, trying to I said, hit those little targets or put bullet on top of bullet at, say, 600 metres, or is, there, is, it, is it a military background for long-range or sniper shooting? Can you, is there any background to it? I, I know what you're asking, and the answer to that question is, it's, it's very simple. It's purely... The excitement of hitting something, usually a target, at a really long range that really floats my boat, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. If I if I go out to a paddock on my brother's sheep station when I was younger, I would, I would get some spray paint and I'd paint a rock. And that rock might be 1,400 metres away. I want to see if I can hit that with the first shot. And sometimes when I did, that was it. Packed the gun away. I was, I was happy for the rest of the day. I was so ecstatic. That, that, that is simply um, wholly and solely the sort of gratitude I get from it. Uh, and, you know, it, that transposes onto target shooting and hunting as well. You know, I'm, I'm not into um, trying to shoot animals at a huge distance because there's so many ethical things that come into it, which I'm quite happy to discuss with you. But um, there's, um, you know, it's purely to hitting an, a target at long range, which really, really makes me happy. Yep. If you, I know when you said you were, your dad got you into sort of hunting and family members, but like what, what part of it, did, you know, I know you sort of mentioned it before, but what part of the long range and precision shooting did you just go, yep, this is what I want to do? <sighs> okay, I was on my brother's sheep station um, and I was 18, I think it was, 18 or 19, with my twin brother. <clears throat> and I had a laser rangefinder back then. It was a Bushnell yardage, 800, whatever it was they had. We had some uh, photocopied bits of paper with, uh, with some uh, trajectory charts printed out from a Sierra 3 DOS computer system, a ballistics thing. Um, and we set off a rabbit warren 400 metres away, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go. And before the rabbits came out, it was about midday, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and there were some rocks near the rabbit warren some of which were already there, some of which we placed there. So we, we practiced on these rocks. And I thought, okay, well, I'm quite happy that if I aim at one of these rabbits at this range that, that it's, you know, I'm going to nail it. And uh, fair enough, you know, uh, just before sunset, one, one poked his head up, 
hopped out of its rabbit warren, took the shot and got it with the first round and, and that hooked me right there and then. And I knew it was possible to do things like that. So I extended the range much further past that in the years after that on on targets, rocks, metal plates, that sort of thing. Um, you can make a target out of anything, you know. Yeah, so it started, started a long time ago. Yeah, tell us about, I know we're talking about gear, but let's talk about the courses again just for a little bit. If people come into the courses, are, sure. they, are they bringing their own gear? So they, it's not like they're using someone else's rifle they don't know. Are they bringing their own uh, rifle, their own scope? Is that what you're teaching them to use long range? Yeah, I am. I'll, I'll get them to bring their own equipment in, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, One is that I don't want to transport a, a, a trailer load of guns around the country to train people because the business model of, of my business is, I travel and teach people in their sort of home state. They get a sense of gratitude when they can realise that they really can hit targets at twice, three times the distance that they previously thought on their own rifle. Um, sometimes their rifles aren't quite up to standard. I'll let them know. Um, and it's not so much the rifle, it's the projectile that they use, uh, which has got a lot to do with it, and the scope. So if someone wants to book on for a course, they'll either contact me on an email or... or um, or leave a message on the answering service, uh, or, or just simply book on, and then I'll get in contact with them and say, look, what sort of rifle have you got? Um, can you please send me the details as soon as possible? So if there, if there is something that needs to be uh, rectified with either the scope or the ammunition, then I can do it before the course starts. All right, mate, tell us a bit, talking about that, let's talk about the gear, actually, because I think that's really important. What sort of gear do we need to get started in, say, long-range and precision shooting? Okay, well... The gear that you need, um, and this doesn't really go for everything, but pretty much the more you spend on, money-wise on telescopic sights, the better you get. The more you spend on your rifle, pretty much, the better you get. Now, there's always this is like chemistry. There's always an exception to the rule. Um, if someone was to turn up on the course and they had a Tika T3 varmint in 308 with a, uh, say, a Vortex Viper scope on it. That whole, that whole system costs about $2,400. They're good to go. If someone turns up, I mean, I don't let them turn up with a, with a 223 on the long-range course and a, and a cheap $200 scope. won't mention any names um, <laughs> because the system won't simply, it won't simply hold up. Mark, uh, Marcus O'Dean did one of the first courses I ran in, in 2010 from Sporting Shooter Magazine. Uh, hell of a nice bloke. Uh, turned up with his 303 and he had a, um, a, a cheaper scope on there. And I said, look, Mark, I've got spare scopes um, and we've got other rifles you can use. Uh, his scope lasted a day and a half. And from then on, I, I, I made sure that when people come onto the course, they, they've either got a good one or I have got three or four that they can bolt straight onto their gun just to, to loan for free to get them on board. Uh, it's, it, you don't have to spend a truckload of money to be able to do it. Um, I mean, there are bits of equipment out there that are far better than others, but the cost, of course, between you know what's good and bad varies somewhat. Yep. Let's talk about. Um, I know you were talking about obviously gear. Let's talk about. I mean, specific rifles. I mean, a lot, lot of people. There's mixed people. A lot of people spend a lot of money on their firearms. Some people spend, uh, you know, not very much. What was? You, know, you were just talking about Tico because I know a lot of guys that I've got one. A lot of guys have got one in that sort of that you know thousand to fifteen hundred price range. Give me some ideas. Let's yeah. start off with rifles first. What sort of rifles would be appropriate in our standard off the shelf that would be a good start for people to buy? Well, um, rifles are a third on the list. 
uh, when it comes to long-range shooting. <laughs> I'll explain <laughs> it to you. Okay. Um, I, I, I can go right into this if you like. Uh, rifles are the platform to deliver the projectile, okay? Um, the concept of rifles is quite plain and simply, the heavier that rifle is, generally, the better it's going to shoot, okay? Yep. It needs it needs a heavy barrel so that you know it, a stiff heavy barrels shoot better than light ones. Simple as that. Of course, there's a, you know exceptions to that rule as well with quality of barrels, and I could speak for three hours about that. But if someone turns up with a a Tika T3 varmint, it's a relatively light rifle, but it's got a heavy barrel, so there's a lot of weight in the fore end. And um, that rifle, as you just said, is is not that expensive. In fact, that particular rifle is is probably the one of the highest-selling rifles on the planet as we speak um, because it's value for money. When people come up to me and they, they say, well, I want to start from scratch, what can I get? First thing I say is, well, what's your price range? And they say, well, I'll, as little as possible. Okay, no dramas. Have a look at the Tika, the Savage rifles, any of those. They shoot well. They all shoot well. Uh, the next thing is to get the, a, a decent scope on there. And someone wants to spend less than a thousand dollars on a scope they're not going to really get one that's going to satisfy them unless it's uh, say a vortex which is um and the, the vortex scopes are the ticker rifles of telescopic sites they're value for money yep um i'm, I'm not trying to plug them that's just it, it is what it is Th- those scopes um they are still only a thousand dollar scope the viper models um viper psts but um they do allow people to do long-range shooting um, with a scope around the $1,000 mark. When it comes to scopes, I'll say, look, you know, um, go the milliradian adjustments instead of the MO8, which I'll explain to you um, a little bit uh, after because I've, I've digressed a little bit. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll recommend um, any of that sort of equipment in that price range. And if they want to spend more money, or well, you know, that's great, fantastic. So rifles, when it comes to rifles, the, the, the heavy barrel has to come into it the stock has something a lot got a lot to do with it. Uh, the type of stock, you know, uh, magazine fed is preference um, to um, to single shot, uh, and basically the rifle itself, not the shooter, but the rifle has to be capable of shooting under uh, an inch at a hundred yards, one MOA, whatever you like to call it, you know, around that sort of size groups. And so you know, if someone turns up with a ten thousand dollar Seiko TRG, great, fantastic. Let's talk about, I wanted to talk about the scopes. I think that's really important. Let's talk about, you said you just mentioned different brands. Let's talk about uh, the power, uh, the type of the type of turrets on it, hunting turrets versus the target turrets. And also, uh, as you said, what, sure. about, what about reticles? Is reticles important? I know I just bought a, um, what yeah. did I buy? I bought a, jeez, uh, I've got gone blank, uh, three to nine, say 50 for me, two, two, three, but it's got just the basic cross reticle. Yeah. And then I've also got yep. a Zeiss Conquest, I think, 3 to 940, I think, in, again, just that crosshairs as well. So no, you know, what do they call them, uh, mill dots or anything like that. What do we need? What those three things, tell me about power, uh, reticle, and the turrets. Okay, the, I teach practical shooting. So it, this long-range shooting is practical long-range shooting. It's not sitting down uh, with a 50-power telescopic sight shooting a black dot, which is what, you know, the, uh, the, the big bore rifle shooters do. It's practical shooting. So it's multi-distance um, laser with a laser range finder, dial in computer software, you know, dial in for the shot, read the wind, Kestrel weather meters, all that sort of thing. So the sort of scopes that lend themselves to that sort of shooting are ones that, are, well, that have a, a reticle system in them, not a, not a plain 
uh, duplex, crosshair, whatever you call it, but a, a milliradian hash mark, mil dot, uh, which is a milliradian measurement as well, or an MOA reticle, that's fine, which Night Force and, and Vortex do. I prefer milliradians because it's a metric system. Um, you know, one click is one centimetre at 100 metres, 10 clicks is 10 centimetres. It's all a metric system. We all, we all we work with it. It's dollars and cents, if you know what I mean. So, and, and most reticle systems in, in scopes nowadays are a milradian reticle. So the key is to get a scope with the turrets that are graduated in milliradians so that they match the subtensions in the reticle, which are milliradians as well. And there's a very good reason for that. Um, so when I say so if, if someone comes onto the course and they've got a uh, a 308 rifle in, in whatever brand it is, and they've got a scope with uh, milliradian turrets and a milliradian reticle, they might wind their turrets out to 13 milrad, for instance. That might get you out to a thousand meters for a 308 cartridge. But now we're shooting a target at 1250 meters, which is, you know, in, in the opinions of a lot of people out there, way beyond the capabilities of a 308. But you know, we can shoot them out to a mile if we want, and we do. So what, what you do is it, the scope will bottom out on 13 milrad, and now then we've got these milliradian hash marks on the lower part of the vertical axis of the reticle. So now we can overhold those on top of the mechanical elevation that we've dialed in. It's called stacking mils. So, for instance, if you need a 23 milrad shot for 1,200, 1,300 metres, maybe even 1,400 for a 308, you can dial to your turret stops then overhold 10 mil rad onto your scope and still hit your target. So when you get these telescopic sites with um, a mil hash or a mil dot reticle, but with MOA turrets, um, they don't match. I understand why they did it, and it's purely for marketing and, 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 um, and selling scopes to the United States market because they like their mil dot reticles and they like their MOA turrets. But when you get into practical long-range shooting, they don't match. Um, and, you know, if... if people really want to realize why it's, that's done, then ask someone in the U.S. Marine Corps that they've had mil dot reticles and, and mil turrets for, for a long time. Yep. What about power as well? Is power important? Variable power is important. Um, more often than not, people will go for these higher power scopes when you don't need to. Uh, I, I ran a course in Queensland a few years ago, and these guys turned up with these loophole uh, fixed 10-power telescopic sites. I had them shooting clay targets at the 1,000-metre mark at, um, at the Belmont International Rifle Range wow. um, on 10 power. So you can do it. So I'll say, look, if, you're, if you've got your 308, um, a 3 to 15 power, 4 to 16 power is ample. Um, you can hit a target at, at 1,600 metres a mile with 15 power, not a, not a drama. And with any cartridge, and I won't say calibre because it's, I suppose it's being a bit more specific to say cartridge, when you start getting into cartridges like 300 Win Mag, 7 Rim Mag and above, then I'll ask people, you know, consider a 5 to 25 power. Anyone who's come on these courses uh, for the last four years that I've been running them has a scope larger than 25 power. I don't get them to use the power of that scope any, any further than 25. In fact, they'll give it a go, but then they'll soon realize very quickly that to try and reacquire the target after the recoil of the rifle is, is virtually impossible, even if the target's out at a mile. Mm. Um, so 5 to 25 is ample. I've shot out to 2,300 metres with 25 power, so shooting at a mile is a lot easier. 
Yeah. <laughs> Mate, talk, yeah, talking, <laughs> talking about that, let's talk about the calibers. I think that's important. What do certain calibers yeah. – I mean, yeah. I've seen a couple of guys on YouTube, like, for example, uh, there's one guy who's got a lot of views, a 204. He's, like, shooting five, 600 yards with a, a 204, and it was sort of, you know, pretty, pretty good. So it was just a basic, as you said, it was a Tico, I think, a varmint rifle. What calibers favour long-range and precision shooting? Well, when people ask me that, I'll say, what do you want to do? And, um, the, you know, if they say, look, I want to hunt, okay, right. Uh, we need to have, we need to go into this ethical area here. We need to have a cartridge that is going to deliver that, that velocity uh, for terminal performance and the energy to be able to dispatch whatever you want to shoot in a, in a quick and ethical manner. So I won't say to someone, look, it, you know, a 308 will be fine for you if you want to shoot pigs at 600 metres because it won't. So I'll be saying, look, you know, uh, 300 wind mag or above. If someone wants to shoot deer at 900 metres and they're fully capable of doing it, well then 338, um, yes, a 300 wind mag will do it with the right bullet, right projectile, but, um, you know, especially in the eastern states, you can get these JTAC cartridges which are far better for long-range shooting on, on animals um, for, a, for a multitude of reasons. Um, so it all depends what you want to do. If someone wants to shoot targets and they don't want the recall and they don't want the, the loud bang and, you know, and, and everything, then I'll say, you know, go for a 308 or even go for a 223. If you get a 223 with a, a long enough barrel and, and, and a, a, say, a twist rate of one and eight inches and start putting 77 or 80 grain projectiles through it, you can take that, that thing out to 1,000 metres if your scope will allow it. Mm. It, uh, it all depends what you want to do. If you just want to plink metal targets at, at, at a thousand meters with a low recoiling rifle, you can do it with a two, two, three, um, six point five, forty-seven Lapeur is a great cartridge. Um, Does a lot of wind come into it? Then does a lot of wind come into it with a smaller sort of uh, less weight in the projectiles? Oh, look, wind comes it, into it with everything. Uh, wind is the biggest factor that I that I that I try and get people's heads around. It's 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 the major. It's the most, it's the largest and hardest thing for people to try and master. So yes, most certainly the wind comes into it. Have you heard of the term ballistic coefficient? I've heard of it. Yep. Without going into it, it, it too heavily, the ballistic coefficient is obviously how efficient that bullet is through the air, or how quickly it slows down. So um, I'll use the the G one ballistic coefficient, which is what most people are, have been exposed to. It's between zero and say one. All right. If your if the ballistic coefficient of your projectile is 0.5, that would be around about the 308, 175 grain Sierra Match King mark. If your projectile is around 0.3, then that might be the 308, 150 grain soft point sort of mark, or or a or a 223 or something like that. If your ballistic coefficient is around 0.8, now we're into the 375, 338 Shay um, seven mil Remington Ultra Mag sort of area. The higher the, the reason why I'm saying this is that it's, it's it's a simple concept that I try and teach people. The higher the BC your bullet is, and the faster that bullet goes, you will hit more stuff. It's simple as that. If you've got a, a ballistic coefficient of 0.5 and your bullet is travelling over 2,600 feet per second, uh, you will have a certain hit ratio on targets at a thousand meters. Mm. But if I then grab a 7mm Remington Ultra Mag and put a 180-grain Burger VLD in it and pump that thing out of a 30-inch barrel at 3,200 feet per second, oh, now I've got a BC of 0.74 uh, 
at a velocity of 3,200 feet per second, my hit ratio literally will double because it's got less, less wind drift and far less time of flight. And to prove that point, I designed a cartridge for that because I'm writing a 500-page how-to book at the moment, which has taken years. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it, I've, I've grabbed a, a 300 uh, Norma Magnum cartridge and necked it down to 7 mil and blew the shoulder out. So I wildcatted it. Um, I've never wildcatted a cartridge before, so I wanted to do this as part of uh, writing a, a chapter for it in the book because I don't want to write about something I haven't done. So I, I made this cartridge that was more powerful than the 7 mil Remington Ultra Mag. Um, I wanted to see how I could, how far I could get this thing to shoot supersonic, um, which turned out to be 1,600 metres. So it was supersonic 1,600 metres. It had the same hit ratio on a 12-inch metal plate as a 375 Shaytac. By the time it got there, the bullet wasn't doing uh, as much damage or wasn't hitting it as hard because it's only a 180-grain bullet instead of a 350-grain bullet out of a 375. But uh, the hit ratio was the same. I hope that explains some things for some people because if you come along the course with a 308 and someone else comes on the course with a 6.5284, that 6.5284, as long as the bullets are BLD in shape, will always outperform a 308 based on that concept. All right, yeah, mate. Well, we're just going to go to a quick break and we'll be right back with uh, Glenn Roberts from Precision Shooting Australia. Don't go anywhere. G'day. I'm Robert Brown from the Shooters and Fishers Party, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. You know, I've seen a lot of political parties promise support for Shooters and Fishers over the years, but the only party who has actually delivered for these groups, you guessed it, it's the Shooters and Fishers Party. We've been going toe-to-toe with the Greens and the gun grabbers for the last 20 years, and we're not going to stop. We've got too much to fight for, but we need your support. In March 2015, we have our best chance ever to elect a third Shooters and Fishers Party member to the New South Wales Parliament. To register your support, please visit www.sfp2015.org.au. I'll repeat that www.sfp2015.org.au All right, Glenn, mate. Um, tell me, let's talk about, I know we were finishing off before you were talking about um, uh, what was ballistic, was it coefficiency? I think you just said, if I'm correct, sorry, I've got that wrong, but yes. let's yeah. talk about, right. <laughs> it probably goes into a good part actually too of uh, you know reloading. Do you think it's mandatory, say, for people to say reload their own, uh, cartridges, can it be done with factory ammo and what sort of, you know, is, I won't say specific brands unless you can obviously recommend some, but should uh, sort of any of those major brands, you know, Hornady's or Burgers as you were talking about before, um, is it mandatory to reload? Um, it's not mandatory to reload. Though it is far more beneficial for the student to reload because that gives them access to um, different types of projectiles and loads and they can customise a load to their rifle. Um, no, it's not mandatory uh, for people who own 308s. I say, look, as long as you come on the course with a, um, a cartridge that uses a match-grade bullet from a reputable, um, well-known, high-quality ammunition manufacturing company, say like Nosler, Federal, you know, Hornady, any of those sort of people, then, um, then you will get good results. If you come onto the course with um, a really good quality brand of ammunition, say like Federal, and it's a 150 grain power shock, which is designed for hunting, you are not going to get the same results as a person who comes on with Federal gold medal match 175 grain, uh, which contains a Sierra Match King in it. 
Right. Um, Hornady make good ammunition. Custom competition, I think it is, or Nozzle custom competition. Hornady make another good one. So, no, you don't have to reload. But the thing is, a lot more people nowadays are getting into 300 wind mags to get into that long-range shooting arena, which is a great cartridge. Um, the unfortunate thing about that one is that there are not many cartridges out there that uh, contain match-grade projectiles in that um, uh, in, in that in that caliber or cartridge, 300 wind mag. Yeah. Um, there's, there's only a couple there, and the ammunition costs a fortune. Um, if, if seven mil rem mag is a good cartridge for it too, but you, you cannot get match grade ammunition in in the seven mil rem mag. So, uh, yeah, I love me seven mils. I love me seven mils. <laughs> so do I. Love them too. I think yeah, they're, they're, they're fantastic. But um, yeah, unless you reload, you tend to sort of find yourself in the in a corner sometimes with that sort of thing. Yeah. So ba- so based on that, what would like give you know I'd like a sort of recommendation out here. Someone wants to come in, they want a good selection uh, of bullets, what what would be the preferred caliber you'd go for based on say the, the Australian the current situation, what sort of um, uh, cartridge would you go for? I would say to people um, get a three go for a 300 wind mag and not it's not my favourite cartridge at all. In fact, uh, I would much prefer other cartridges over that. But it's like buying a hole in Commodore and getting spare parts for it and getting, you know, tyres and fuel, you know, not fuel, but uh, spare parts for it. You buy a rifle in a, in a, in a quite a, an unusual calibre to get brass, it's going to be a problem. Uh, to get projectiles, it may be a problem. Um, you know, but 300 Win Mag, if you were a reloader, to get a 30 calibre bullet that's match grade, I mean, how many different types are there? There's, there's heaps of them. There's probably 20 different types of projectiles that you can put in that thing that will work over long range. Yeah. Seven mil, yes, but if someone comes along with a 270, if you have a look at bullet charts, uh, you might have only three 270 bullets that are match grade, and in seven mil, you've got 12 to 15. So I'll say, look, don't go for uh, a 270. Go for a seven mil because you've got a wider bullet selection or projectile selection to go with it. So 300 Win Mag, I'll say to people, come on board with one of those and put a, a 190, 210 or 230 grain bullet in, whatever your twist rate is to match, and you will get good results, no doubt about it. That, that, that being said, if, if uh, someone comes along with a 308, the person who shoots that 308 will learn more than the person using a 300 Win Mag. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balancing scale here. The person with a 308 will learn more and maybe have a little bit less satisfaction at the end because they've hit less targets. But the, the person with the 300 wind mag will hit more targets but won't learn quite as much because the effects of what happens out there are, are not as magnified as with the 308 wind. Yeah, exactly. I've got a, You reckon that the Magnum cartridges, are they good? I know I've got like to hunt deer and stuff like that and pigs. I've got a 7 mil weight. Is that popular these days or not really? Seven mil weights, it's not popular, even though it's ah, a fantastic. Come on, cartridge. Glenn. I've, oh, I was hoping you. <laughs> I was hoping you're going to support me here. Come on, man. <laughs> I, I love seven mils. I love seven mils, and and uh, necking down a a three oh eight cartridge into a seven mil is a great thing to do. Um, <laughs> I, I love seven mil bullets. Seven mil bullets for hunting are supreme. Um, I built one, so you know, it, no, it's a great cartridge, and people can come along and to do a long range course with a seven mil, uh, a seven mil oh eight like yours. Yeah, um, I, I like powerful cartridges. Don't get me don't get me wrong. I I like shooting two to threes, three oh eights, but I do like powerful cartridges. If I could own one, and legally I can't, but if I if I could legally, I would have something like a three seven five Shaytac. 
Oh, well, good but, stuff. Yeah. And talking about, as you said, those smaller calibers, what, I mean, people are like, I've got, I know I've got a two, two, three, but I, I, a Tika, I think it was the Hunter version I've got, but I cut mine down, the barrel down. Now, that, those smaller calibers, they work pretty well. I mean, obviously, there's a big talk about, I'm not sure for long range, you might be able to tell me, but the, you know, the 204 is becoming increasingly popular. You know, I mean, 22, 250 is still popular. What in that smaller caliber range, if people want to do some varmint shooting, would, would sort of work for them? Well, if, if someone has one of those rifles, I'll suggest to them, look, do the two-day course instead of the three or the five because those rifles will go out to 600. Um, you'll achieve results. If they wanted to do long-range shooting and go a bit further, then say if someone had a 22 to 50, the first thing I'd be asking them is, what's your twist rate? And if they said to me, look, it's one in 14, I say, okay, well, that's standard. Um, yes, you can use 55-grain projectiles, but you know, if you really want to get further out, then you, you're going to need a 1 and 9 twister or a 1 and 8 or something like that so we can start putting some 80-grain bullets in there and, and get you out to 1,000 plus. Um, 2D3s, yes, they can go out to 1,000 if you've got a 1 and 8 twist. Um, it's all about twist rate and ballistic coefficient, projectile length, all that sort of thing. So, so if, if your twist rate is 1 and 8 inch, it's a lot faster than obviously a 1 and 12. Yeah, so um, I think my one, I've got the 1 in, I think I've got just a, that might be the standard, the 1 in 12, I think, for the 2D3. That's standard. So yeah. you're limited to 55-grain projectiles, um, which is what the cartridge was designed for in the hunting area, you know, that, that sort of projectile that projectile size. But um, there's some guys in America right, that, you know, that are putting one and eight twist barrels on there and shooting, um, what are those things, are gophers? No, are they gophers or? Little um, prairie, prairie dogs, little prairie dogs. Prairie dogs, prairie dogs. They're shooting those <laughs> things at 900 metres, you know. <laughs> I know it's uh, is that is that sort of uh, popular here? I mean, do you get guys come in that love that sort of you know line on the hill, you know six six five six hundred eight hundred meters away, whatever it may be, trying to hit those rabbits in the warren? Is that sort of popular or? Absolutely, yeah. There's some guys that want to shoot rabbits at a thousand meters. They can do it quite easily um, with the right cartridge and, and a little bit of knowledge. Um, and you can do it ethically too. You know, with a big enough cartridge, if you hit a rabbit, you know, in most places, it's, it's going to do the job. I'm big on ethics. I don't like people wanting to come on the course and say, look, I want to shoot goats at 1,200 metres with my 308. I'll say, well, you've got no business sort of um, doing that here. But um, um, and, and on that side of things, you know, if I'll teach people to, to long-range shoot for their hunting, but I'll say to them quite clearly at the start, don't think you're going to be going to shoot animals at 1,000 metres after this course. It's, you've got to practice, you know. And um, I... I won't shoot animals that far uh, unless I've practiced uh, quite a lot, which I have, obviously. But, um, you know, for the shooter who comes on the course and spends a week doing it, and before that they started, their longest shot was 200 metres, then I'll say, okay, now you're capable of making a 400-metre shot or a 500-metre shot ethically. Um, I'll say that to them because I've seen, I've seen their skill level. If you think you're going to do a seven or eight hundred meter shot, then you're definitely going to need to put a few more years practice into it at reading the wind. Yep. But um, yeah, it's it's not you know you see where I'm coming from. Yeah, I would consider you know sometimes I mean only for me I mean I, I try and get things under a hundred meters. I mean I would presume most people would be pretty. You know, even I would be to be pretty keen on sort of just getting out. Even to, even three to four hundred meters, I think, would be you know quite a distance. You know, for even guys that I hunt with, etc. I mean, you put sort of five to six hundred. 
is, you know, is sort of, you know, a smaller amount. But for, you know, I guess for the majority of probably shooters that may listen to this show, you know, trying to get out of that, they'd probably be happy to get out to 500. I know I would be and be able to do that very consistently. Well, with some training uh, and the right equipment, you know, with a laser rangefinder, knowing how to use a laser rangefinder, uh, some tables or a, a ballistic computer or, or software on your phone, knowing how to use that, whatever it is. If you've got all those tools and a Kestrel weather station or, or, or another mate, it doesn't really matter, and you know how to read the wind, then four and 500 meter shots are easy um, with practice. Yeah. Um, of course, shooting on a rifle range is a whole different ballgame to shooting out in the field at a live target. Um, so, you know, it, if, if you want to shoot... A, a goat at 500 meters, then you want to be practicing first round hits at 900. That's that's where I'm coming from. Really? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and also, there's a lot of other things that come into it too. You know, if someone wants to shoot an animal at long range, first thing I'm saying too is, um, you know, how are you going to get to it if you wound it, or have you got a second shot capability to put that animal down real quick? Has it got quick access into the bush area which you haven't got access in? Uh, can you drive there real quick? Um, you know, if, they, if there's no to any of those questions, they'll say, well, then you've got no business shooting at it. I, I do like close-in hunting. I, I, it's not about, you know, I like shooting things at long range. I like shooting targets at long range, but that is a tool in the toolbox for me. I, I love getting close to a, a goat or a deer 30 metres away uh, with either a rifle or a bow. I love it too. You know, it's, it's about the stalk. So I'm not all focused down one area of hunting. I, I, I like to consider myself to have a a broad spectrum of, of hunting knowledge, capabilities, and, and sort of likes, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Good point, mate. Mate, we've got, a, we've got a segment here on the Australian Hunting Podcast. It's five questions in under a minute. You reckon you can take the challenge? <laughs> yep, go for it. All right, we'll do it once I hit this start button. Right, give me a sec. Actually, I've got to actually click stopwatch. That would make sense. All right, three, two, one, and we go. If you had one choice of a uh, rifle, uh, caliber choice, and one scope for precision shooting, what caliber and powered scope would it be and why? Uh, caliber three seven five Shaytac, uh, scope five to twenty five power tangent theta, which used to be the Premier reticles. Yeah, scope with a Gen Gen two XR reticle. All right, your own your own personal favourite that you own rifle and the scope combination. What would it be and why? My own favourite rifle, which I own, is yeah. a Blazer R ninety three with a Swarovski one point seven to ten ballistic turret. All right, if you could hunt anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Alaska, caribou. All right, you're long- it's hard. <laughs> yeah, your longest shot maybe on game for a successful humane kill, how far was it and what species? Uh, it was a goat and it was 1,411 metres. Wow, if there was a coat can at 1,000 metres and I, I, you had the specific rifle of your choice in calibre and scope, you reckon you could hit it in one shot? Um, how fast is the wind is going and where's it coming from? <laughs> um, the, answer, the answer is yes. If the wind is constant and it's under, say, three metres per second or 10 k's now, yes, I can. Mate, one minute 15, you fail, but that's all right, man. We get, a lot, we, we get a lot of failures here, but we get some winners occasionally, but that's all right, you know. Righto. You can't, you can't complain. It was the last question that stumped me. <laughs> uh, that's always a good one. Always good to have a bit of a laugh that's- with the... With the uh, guests that come on, mate. But tell, mate, t- actually tell us a story. A lot of uh, my listeners love to hear a story sort of to finish off an episode. And, you know, whether it be like maybe a hunting story which you had about a goat or something that was a great day in your life that you could sort of, you know, share for over a couple of minutes. Can you sort of share a story with the listeners? Um, okay, I'd finished training the New Zealanders um, in Christchurch and I'd never been in the snow before. So we went 
down south of Christchurch into the mountains and backpacked up into the mountains with um, with a 338 that I had. And I wanted to shoot a tar. I never shot a tar before. And found the one that I wanted, but it happened to be on top of the mountain that I was very incapable of climbing because I don't know what, if you've been over there or not, but the Kiwis can climb mountains like goats. Yeah, as soon as you get yeah. Aussies over there, yeah. uh, we don't look too good on the mountains. Um, <laughs> so I lasered it. I took a, I actually had the software with me, so I plugged it into the PDA, lasered it, dug a hole in the snow, put my Gore-Tex jacket into the snow, took a backlying shot with the uh, rifle around my knee um, at a 40-degree upward angle and put it through its boiler room and it fell off a cliff and I went and grabbed it. Simple as that. <laughs> that, was, that, was pretty, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, it wasn't um, – I haven't got a, a super large, long sort of like hunting story like you, know, you see on these hunting shows. Yes, but uh, I, yeah, I just love shooting in the mountains. I, I could not even climb those things if I, my life depended on it though. That's ridiculous. <laughs> That's right, man. We're just gonna go. We're just gonna get another quick break, and we'll be right back in just a few seconds. Don't go anywhere. This is an ad for the Liberal Democrats, but the Liberal Democrats don't want me to talk about them. They want me to talk about you. People should control governments. Governments shouldn't control people. In fact, the Liberal Democrats think the less you hear from the government, the better. Unless you're hurting someone, governments should get out of the way and let you live the life you want. The Liberal Democrats. More freedom, less government. Actually, Glenn, I want to talk to you about another thing here, the, uh, the Aussies and training Aussies and Kiwis and, say, different people from around the world. Do you find, uh, what, the Kiwis, they pretty good, you reckon? You reckon they're better than the Australians or we just mince them in that sort of area? <sighs> Kiwis, um, they do do a lot of long-range shooting. They're good hunters because hunting is their culture. Um it all depends on the individual, I'd say. I, I think, you know that term, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Well, sometimes you can, most of the time you can't. Um, the New Zealanders, without offending them, sorry guys, um, <laughs> they, they, they do think they know a lot, um, so it tends to be harder to teach them in that way. But um, I suppose there's other hard, you know, with teaching Aussies, there's hard things as well. But no, I, I like teaching everyone. It doesn't really matter who, who you are, where you come from. It's fun. It's fun. I have run a course over in New Zealand as well. I ran one down at um, a place called Fodder Fodder, which is W-H-A-T-A. That's how they pronounce it. Then after that, we went down hunting the mountains. Yeah, well, yeah, certainly some uh, good hunting over there, that's for sure. Mate, people wanted to, let's say they want to book in for the courses, they want to book in for the long range, the reloading. Um, how can I guess? How can they go about it? So, you know, email or phone number, website, Facebook. What do you, you know, give them all the details so they can get in contact with you? Best place is on the website. So, if you go to www.precisionshooting.com.au, you'll come up with uh, my website, and there is a contacts page there. Um, is uh, there is an email for each state that I train in? So, WA, ACT, and Victoria. Um, they can, as soon as they put an email with a query on there, it'll come through to my mobile phone. So I'll, I'll get it straight away and, and uh, time permitting, I'll get back to them as soon as I possibly can. There's also uh, a number there. That number leaves uh, a voice message on an answering service, which also comes through to my phone um, in a WAV file. So I can listen to their message straight away. 
Um, and also that the website that they look at that now, that's actually changing. So in a few weeks' time, it'll be a completely new one with a one three hundred number on it. Best way is is email. Um, and then once I, I grab the email details, then they'll get my uh, uh, other emails, which happens to be uh, info at precisionshooting.com.au. Then um, they can either call me or I call them. Perfect, mate. I appreciate you coming on to the uh, show to have a chat with us about you know, long range and precision shooting, what's involved, what's required, how people can get into it and sort of you know, tame uh, you know, some of those goals they want to obtain in this you know, long range shooting slash precision shooting arena. So thanks, Glenn, for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, not a problem. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. You've just been educated and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.